And you go, yeah, but I prayed and things went to hell. And now I have questions, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm pretty convinced that at some point when, when, how do we say it nicely, John? When the fecal matter hits the oscillating device. We're going to go for like a PG rating here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, I thought we might get to one show without our little explicit rating, but all right, fine. So when the hits the fan. Western Christianity has spent the last 2000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is not church with John and Nat Turney. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. This is uh, another awesome episode of This Is Not Church. I am one of your hosts, Nat Turney, and with me is my brother, John. What's up, John? Uh, nothing. Just sitting here uh, enjoying my coffee like you do. <laughs> good. Well, good. That's good. It's two hours earlier where you are, and I'm still on my third or fourth cup of coffee, but you probably just got started. But, um, man, we're, we are here today with... Um, Man, a really, really interesting guy, an author. His name is Mark Karras. Um, you probably know him. Um, if you don't, you should. Let me, let me let me throw down this little bio real quick so we get a little bit of introduction to Mark. Um, he says this. He's a, Mark Karras is an adjunct professor at Point Loma Nazarene University, a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice in San Diego, California. Whoop, whoop, San Diego. An ordained pastor, husband, and recording artist. He's a voracious reader researcher, and all-around biophilic. Look that word up. It's a good one. Uh, Mark is also the author of best-selling books, Religious Refugees, Deconstructing Towards Spiritual and Emotional Healing, and Divine Echoes, Reconciling Prayer with the Uncontrolling Love of God, both, uh, the believe, published by Choir, the most recent one in like 2018. So um, doing really, really awesome stuff. Uh, welcome, Mark. Hey. Hey, Nat. Hey, John. Good, uh, great to be here. Yeah, great to have you, man. Um, we have a lot to talk about, and uh, I, I really, really have enjoyed your work. I've enjoyed uh, the stuff I've seen that you put out in social media, um, and then I really enjoyed um, Divine Echoes an awful lot. Um, and the reason for me, and that's why I want to jump into that book in particular, I think, today, is that when we discuss things like open and relational theology, when we talk about um, the concepts that guys like you and Tom Ord and Greg Boyd um, uh, typically tend to work in, where um, we're really emphasizing the uncontrolling love of God and how God does not single-handedly tend to intervene in the world, but there's a partnership and there's some other things that have to go along with that. The practical question that I'm sure comes to most people's minds, it certainly came to mind then, is that, okay, then what do we do with prayer? Like then, then how do I have to reframe even that concept? Um, and and particularly, I, I love that your your book dives into petitionary prayer in particular. So, um, if you would maybe give us the you know the thirty thousand foot view of 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 what divine echoes is meant to meant to talk about. Sure, divine echoes. I it's such a dear um, it's child. I, I remember birthing that book in such travail, uh, wondering, questioning, talking to all kinds of people, uh, pastors and teachers on prayer, uh, just really trying to understand it. I think the it was partially due to some of the uh, failed prayer, in a sense, um, you know, because of my brother who was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and my mother, who uh, was addicted to drugs and would eventually die from a drug overdose. But I, I was um, praying, I mean, fervently praying for them. And back then, it was I was in the Pentecostal uh, church, and I remember praying and fasting and casting out demons and binding this and loosing that and but my brother's going to be in prison for the rest of his life, and my mom is dead. Uh, so where was God? How effective was prayer? What was the point of all that? And so that really caused, like, there were seeds, seeds of doubt, seeds of concern. How does this work? Um, God can speak things into existence. God can give people uh, a parking spot. But I have myself and whole churches praying and fasting uh, for my brother to be well, for my mother to be well. And God says, nah, you know, I, I, I helped John 
You know, I help Nat with the parking spots, but I, I can't help your mom. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, I, right. I, you know, yes, I know I could speak a word. I could, you know, snap my fingers sort of like Thanos and do things instantly, but I, you know, I'm just not going to do it. But that's, you know, what other, what other um, conclusion can we come to if we believe that God is in control of everything? That God is omnipotent, and back then I understood that omnipotence through the lens of, you know, Pentecostalism and fundamentalist Christianity, which yeah. does believe that God has that power to instantly do that. But if God doesn't, then I'm to believe that God simply chose not to. And some of those questions were, you know, um, really important in, in the writing of this book and really deconstructing and investigating, um, and then my attempt at reconstructing petitionary prayer. Wow. And there's a, there's, there's so much truth there. I have, I have a similar background, um, in Pentecostalism. And, um, so I have, I have, I have tarried at the altar. Um, (laughs) I have, I have, we talked about this yesterday with someone else about, you know, I was forced to basically fake speaking in tongues because I wasn't going to leave the meeting until somebody did. So I'm like, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. oh my gosh, you know, just, just some trauma that came along with some of that stuff. But, um, but it's so hard because I believe at the root of this stuff, when we, when we come up with glib explanations like we have done for so long about why God doesn't intervene and we ignore the possibility that God can't intervene, um, yeah, we have to come to the conclusion that that the God we have been told that we need to worship and fear and love and whatever else is actually kind of a monster. Um, and he's capricious and he's mercurial and plays favorites an awful lot, you know? Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And, and yeah. it always struck me as weird that the people who tend to get healed at all the meetings I went to had these really nondescript, like, oh, I've had pain in my left leg. Oh, it's gone. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh, how, or how come it was like always the left ear that suddenly they could hear out of, but um, <laughs> couldn't jerk someone out of a wheelchair unless they, you know, or couldn't make a leg grow back and all this, you know, so, so much of that stuff pushed me away from that. Um, and it's given me, honestly, Mark, it's given me a, um, it's given me a tenuous relationship with prayer in general, you know? Mm. Um, is there a, sh- is there a shift that you see taking place? Because I, I know one, I know one thing that you mentioned was, you know, there's a sort of pendulum approach to prayer sometimes that we say, well, you know, obviously the Bible says pray, and it gives us examples of petitionary prayers. And, but mm. then we also sometimes swing the other way and go, well, actually, prayer doesn't affect anything. It only affects me. And so we go full scale the other way. Like prayer is just meant to be formational. Um, sure. Mm-hmm. And then, and that doesn't seem all that practical to me. But what is the value of, say, let's start with, let's start with petitionary prayer for yourself. And to what degree does um, our participation then play in uh, the efficacy of petitionary prayer for me? Yeah, I'm. Uh, th- there's so many different avenues to go. <laughs> exactly. Um, let, let's start with, you know, just an operational definition of petitionary prayer, and then cool. I think maybe I'll I'll share a little bit about where I'm landing on prayer, which is not very encouraging to most people. So, okay. <laughs> um, but I, I am in the minority here, even within uh, the umbrella of open and relational. Uh, theologians. So, petitionary prayer, right? It's a specific form of prayer, and it's aimed at making requests of God, right? So, they make requests of God um, for answers to life's questions and concerns, and really, there are pleas for God to be the sole responsible agent to act on behalf of we who are praying, right? Right. So, they could be big prayers, small prayers, but they're really aimed at, hey, God, you do this. Wow. Um, so that's just the opera, right? There's different forms of prayer and prayer lament and prayer protest and thanksgiving. And, but we're talking about petitionary prayer specifically. I, I, um, where do I, how do I say this? I think the cost, there's too much of a cost here. Um, mm. there's too much of a cost. I, I talk about the, the bystander effect in the sense of it's sort of the sociological term that, you know, it was really came about through Kitty Genovese, this woman uh, who I believe was murdered um, a long time ago, where people were basically up in their balconies sort of watching this unfold, but no one did anything 
because they thought somebody else was going to take care of it. So it was sort of this bystander effect. And I'm worried that the petitionary prayer, and I'm going to say it, I, I personally believe that it's has contributed to a vast amount of suffering in the world. Mm, and I yeah. know that's a bold statement, but it's if if there is something, let's say there's a person who a family that it's, it's they they need help, they need assistance, they're they're sick, let's say they have a covid and we're praying God, you take care of it. You heal them. But meanwhile, they're needing assistance now. Like they need help now. So if we're saying, God, you do it, and ironically and, and paradoxically, God is saying, hey, guys, I want you to be my hands and feet in the yeah. world. Um, but so if we do nothing and then God is doing nothing because we're doing nothing, because God can't unilaterally or single-handedly control events, then people are screwed. Like, right. And that's my concern. You know, when you get into statistics like, Every 10 seconds, a child dies from hunger. Every 98 seconds, someone's sexually assaulted. Every 33.5 minutes, someone's murdered. Uh, you know, every over 52,000 people will die from drug overdoses this year. You know, you just can name the statistics. But for me, the cost is too high. You know, it's we can't afford to spend our time engaging in immature forms of prayer and what I might consider superstitious practices, you know, causing us to feel good, thinking we are accomplishing great things. Oh, I, I checked it off the list, but ultimately they're not achieving the good that we set out to accomplish. And worse, they contribute to more suffering. So that's my concern. Um, yeah, I think that's a valid concern because I know that um, in, in the circles in which I grew up, there was a tendency to pretty much wash your hands of the whole thing. You know, but on on the on the flip side of that, because I prayed for you, I can now even feel a little bit pious in my washing of my hands. I've put it in the hands of God. And mm. so, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I can do. And I pat myself on the back because I did something recognizing, of course, as well as you know, that, you know, as well as I do, that there are certainly things that are way beyond our control. But even washing our hands to do the bits that we can do. You know, we've talked about that before where we've that, that comic strip that runs around and I, I, I keep attributing it to David Hayward and it may be him and mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. maybe not. But it's, you know, Jesus and somebody sitting on a bench and the guy's complaining about all the woes and the evils of the world and asking Jesus when he's going to do something about it. And Jesus is like, funny, I was going to ask you the same thing. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like so. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's as I mean, it's bold. I know, but I don't I don't know. It doesn't strike me as way off base. Yeah. I don't think it's bold at all. <laughs> I think it's I think it's it's more spot on than, than anything enough. I've heard. Uh, well, I'm not, I don't want to go that far, but I mean, I was just going to add, you know, and I'm not going to go into my faith journey because that's not what this 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 episode's about. But um, as I kind of quote unquote came back to the faith, um, I was shocked at how many people came up to me and said, "Well, you know what, brother, I've been praying for you to come back to the faith." And I'm just so glad that God has finally answered my prayers. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> like, not once did you come up and have a conversation with me about this <laughs> prayer life that you had to bring me back to the faith. I was like, God didn't do anything in this situation. It was my decision. I came up with this idea <laughs> through some events. But it's like, and it's what you're saying. It's like, so they, I, I, they feel like they, they've accomplished their goal, right? Uh, through prayer. And what I want to say is, well, I went through a lot of shit in those 30 years that I wasn't in church. Where were you? Where right. were you in all of that? Uh, you were in your prayer closet praying for me? Well, thanks, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I, and I know you have a back, you know, you brought up your background of, uh, you know, praying for your mother, praying for your brother, uh, your mother and brother. Uh, Nat and I had a grandmother who, passed away from cancer. And I guarantee you, there was a lot of prayer going on. Oh, a man. lot. <laughs> and if I want to put point at someone who I would say in my life was a God-fearing woman who was righteous and did everything that she was supposed to do and follow the Bible and all that, that was my grandmother. And where was God yeah. there? You know, she died. Right. So, and, and, in one, and in one view that says God has, you know, 
all power and can instantly make things happen and is in full control and is a grand puppeteer, you know, orchestrating every event that occurs. God let that happen. You know, right. God, God said, no, I'm not going to heal her, even though I had the power to do so, as opposed to more of an open and relational sense of God couldn't. And that may be a hard pill to swallow. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that can cause some anxiety for people. But was it that God had the power and chose not to do so? Or God wanted that healing just as much as we do? But because God's love is uncontrolling and God doesn't force God's way in the world, even on a microscopic level, which again, I, I, I can hear people like that's a tough pill to swallow. You know, God was, God was pissed off too. Like God right. was hurt or, you know, we know in Romans that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. You know, God right. can be grieved and that verse is basically saying there are things that God would like to have happen, but that doesn't, which causes God to grieve. And in, in the Greek, there's sort of a, an emotion of sadness there. You yeah. know, God gets sad. God wants things to happen more than we do, but, you know, it's, yeah. not, the, it's not just not the world uh, that we live in. It would be sort of a kind of a divine whack-a-mole, you know? Sure. Um, things pop up. Oh, God instantly stops that. And so, oh, this guy's going to be abusive to his wife. Oh, God, just shut that dude's mouth. Oh, another mass shooting is going about to happen. Uh, God breaks the dude's finger. Like, right, can right. you imagine that? Oh, wow, this car was going to get in an accident and it's floating above the other car. Like, it would be a very strange world where God would stop instantly every form of evil that would occur. Right. Um, and I'm not sure that's the kind of world we'd want to live in, where that's there's that kind of control. Yeah. No. It. It. You know what's funny is um, the movie Bruce Almighty sometimes strikes me as like super like theologically sound in some ways. It's like um, they touched on a few things in that movie that are goofy, but actually taken to their logical extremes, a lot of what that is rooted in is this sort of more traditional sense of of prayer. And so when Bruce Almighty becomes God, right? For you know, fine, do my job for a while. And uh, begins answering these billions of prayers and just says yes to everybody. And then the butterfly effect, you know, which I know you mentioned in your book in, in, a, in a different way, but the butterfly effect of that is like everything just goes off the rails. You know, God, let me win the lottery. Sure. Here's your four cents because everyone won the lottery. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know you're saying yes to this means a no over here. And, a yes, and it just all goes, man, it just it flies off the handle. But I mean, the point of that is that God was still maintaining some sort of control that we just couldn't see and understand, which I. I think is bunk. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of Christians still hold to that. It's, um, well, man, we sing yeah. songs about it. You know, yeah. I grew up singing, God is in control. And I'm like, then he sucks. <laughs> then he sucks yeah. at it. Cause if yeah. he's in control, then he has to explain and account for the fact that he could have done this and didn't do it. And it, it still sticks in my craw. Um, there are things that I'm like, Oh, come on, man. Um, why him and not me? Why her and not them? You know, I have friends right now struggling to adopt a baby that they love very much. I mean, they've had this little girl for a year and the father keeps changing his mind. And so it's been ripped out of their homes once, now twice, and they're going back to court again. And my heart is just broken for them. It's just broken. Every time they take her, it just takes a piece of them with, with them, you know, and I scroll through their Facebook feed and it's pray, 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 pray. We're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. And the outcome is, in, is dependent on this guy. Right. You know, this parent yeah. deciding that he's going to relinquish his rights and not, you know, there's not going to be some hand reaching out from heaven to smack him upside. The, although that would be awesome. <laughs> right. How cool would that be? Some <laughs> yeah, divine yeah. hand just reach out from the class and go, it's like, you know, you know, smack in the back of the head like that guy on that, you know, like Denozo on NCIS, like, bam. Um, right. But I don't know. It's, it's reframing stuff for me and it's, it's helping me to reconcile the fact mm. um, that I can still believe that God is good. You know, mm -hmm. and I don't have to believe that he's all powerful in the ways in which I've framed power my whole life. Yeah. A, right. This, they use ex machina interventionist swooping down at the last minute to save the day. So, yeah, uh, I, man, I want to get into some of this other stuff though. So, petitionary prayer, mm -hmm. the bystander effect, it seemed like you spent quite a bit of time on a specific kind of petitionary prayer for people who are unaware that you're praying for them. And uh, you walk through a scenario where, 
you know, a woman is concerned about her son and um, she's praying to God, you know, pour out your love on my son. He needs to be saved. And the implications of that are are what? Well, the implications are that God, uh, you know, once again, you know, there have been many situations where parents pray for their kids. Um, sure. You know, as a, as a therapist, you know, working with addiction and stuff, you know, some kids die. Yeah. Right. And you have these parents who are praying fervently that God would save their child. But once again, it goes back to, was that God, you know, really, once again, God said, no, I hear your prayers, but we need another worship leader or auto mechanic in heaven, (laughs) you know, or was, was the power of the freedom of the will, um, so incredible and that God does not control people like robots. Um, and it's, it's just a really sad, you know, that's why theodicy matters, how we view God in the midst of evil and suffering matters. And it can either bring us closer to God or it can create a lot of distance. And I see, yeah. I, I see it in my therapy room of people who, you know, no longer believe in God or believe in God, but you know, God is just so distant because my mom or my relative died from cancer or, you know, I was in an abusive relationship for 15 years and, you know, he was a Christian. Uh, we were both Christian. And, you know, why would God allow that? Why would God do that? If that's got a part of God's plan, then F God and I want no part of it. Right. But yeah. that's the consequences of believing in an Uber, you know, in control of every action, reaction and event in the world. And that's why me and people like Tom Ward and others are so passionate about, you know, giving a different narrative. Do we have it all together? Do we have a perfect God's eye view on it? No, I think we all admit that. But, you know, and I also admit that we're in some ways monkeys trying to uh, (laughs) convey information about the internet, which (laughs) is a difficult task. But at the end of the day, I must speak with my monkey brain. I don't have it. I, I don't have a perfect view. but. I'm not going to allow the old guard to keep the the narrative there because I find it so destructive. Yeah. Well, and it, it's so that that narrative is so self-serving, isn't it? I mean, it it it, it doesn't serve the people that they're pushing it to, but it, ser- it sure as hell serves the institution. I, I, do, I do think it serves people. Um, uh, you know, I, I do think that, in other words, I usually find the adaptive tendency to engage and to believe certain things. And there are a lot of people, I admit this, that find a lot of encouragement and comfort in knowing that, yes, my child died in the accident, but it was all a a part of God's plan. Now, that's not how I would feel, but I do, I meet people, I talk to people, and there is this, you know, that's why this theology has lasted so long, because it does help people with their existential angst and, and anxieties in life. Yeah. Uh, it can be uh, beneficial, uh, but for some, not. So it's, it's a nuanced picture there. No, and and I, like yeah, you said, for some, you know, it could be a power thing. But I, I really try to take a compassionate lens and say, this pastor is preaching this. It could be power, but it could be that's what was taught to him. And the pastor before him, that was what was taught to him. And yeah. And I admit, if you read the Bible in certain ways, yeah. So I don't think it's ridiculous that some pastors believe in the hyper in control of all things, God parting the Red Sea instantaneously. And yeah, I get it. It's just... um it's not where I can land anymore. Yeah, I do, I do know there comes a time, or it seems like there comes a time when, um, when events sort of conspire to make you rethink a few things, you know. And so I do know I've, I've got friends, personal friends, who are preachers and pastors and whatnot, and you know, untouched by, or at least seemingly untouched. I should I shouldn't assume, but seemingly untouched by tragedy, um, who are content to just go along because that nothing has really come along to challenge that paradigm. 
and say, okay, well, I pray things go white and look at me and go, yeah, but I prayed and things went to hell. And now I have questions, you know, and and I'm, I'm pretty convinced that at some point when, when, how do we say it nicely, John, when the fecal matter hits the oscillating device, we're going to go for like a PG rating here. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought we might get to one show without our little explicit rating, but all right, fine. So when the shit hits the fan and things do go sideways or pear shaped, wherever you want to, however you want to say that, um, the honest ones will say, okay, okay, that paradigm doesn't really work. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I've gotten to a point where I don't really trust people like that <laughs> unless, they, unless they've got some battle scars, man, and, uh, and, and aren't just speaking in the abstract. But that's just my take. Maybe I'm being unkind, but I, I, do, have to, I do tend to have a cynical view sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you're giving credence to a lot of people's stories, so it, it, it does make sense. The, more, the longer I do this, and I am a pastor, you know, so um, John's outside the church and um, we're praying for him. <laughs> Come on now. I've been waiting all morning for that one. Outside um, the church local or outside the church universal? Outside the church out, outside the church local. <laughs> he can't uh, escape. He, uh, irresi- John, John, he, he has something yeah. to say about that. Yeah. The irresistible well, grace of God, John. Uh, Get over it. Uh, I mean, this this has come up on you know, on other conversations you know uh, i don't i don't consider myself a christian i don't use that phrase uh it's not it's it's not it's not helpful for me i'm not saying that 5 years from now that'll change uh, i think i'm i'm honest enough with myself to say that 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 could change so am i outside the church universal i'd say eh, if yeah i think i got one one leg in maybe a couple of toes i am yeah I, yeah, I'm definitely not in a church, a local church, um, and don't see that happening anytime soon. But, um, you know, I know we titled our uh, podcast, This Is Not Church, but this this is the closest I get to church is doing this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah, But, I, I mean, I, I do have a question kind of on the Christianary prayer, prayer. I mean, do you see any any good outcome from that type of prayer? Uh, and the reason I'm asking that is, if, if I was to be, say, if I was to change the, the view or change my heart and the way I, I do these prayers, and instead of saying, hey, God, fix my friend who is an addict or fix this or fix this, and instead say, God, can you change my heart to give me a, a, a place to be a help? So I'm not saying mm-hmm, that I think mm-hmm. that God would then change the way he or she or they do their answer. But I think, is it possible that that in, in a way that's kind of your own therapy? In a way, it's kind of you working on your own heart. So you mm-hmm. can use that prayer to change the way you affect the world, the way you affect your community, the way you affect your family. And in that way, it could be potentially a positive outcome. But it's not really a it's not God answering it. It's you answering it for yourself. John, you must have read the, the third part of my book, John. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's really uh, your intuition. I love your intuition. I'm not sure. I don't think you read the book. So your intuition is my intuition. Yeah. That if God is literally, if God is love and God is doing all God can do in each moment, given the constraints of free will and other very other creaturely variables, then God is doing the best God can do. Then yeah. it becomes more of how can I join you in what either you're already doing or wanting to do. And this this gets into the differences between traditional petitionary prayer and conspiring prayer. And so in um so there's a view of God and then there's the the practice of this. And I'll, I'll go through each difference here. In traditional petitionary prayer, God can intervene and single-handedly stop evil events from occurring. Right? God is the in control, snap his fingers, do whatever God wants, whenever God wants to do it. In conspiring prayer, the view of God is God can't single-handedly control events. God can't single-handedly stop evil uh, from occurring. Right? So they we're talking about view of God. In the traditional petitionary prayer, God is arbitrarily loving and showing favorites. 
well, I'll heal this, I'll heal this young lady from leukemia, but I won't heal this lady from leukemia. I'll, I'm picking and choosing who to heal, who not to heal. But in conspiring prayer, the view is that God loves consistently and fairly. And that is, gets into the whole God is moment to moment loving and maximizing the good. In each moment where traditional petitioning prayer, God intervenes on occasion. Like God somehow is like in the heavens. And if we pray hard enough and we get those prayer chains, listen, God is, he's asking for 500 prayers. Uh, we're up to 498. But if we just get two more, then God is going to finally reach down from the heavens and then snap God's fingers and voila. So in, in the practice, it's a little different where in traditional petitionary prayer, we pray to God. There's a clear hierarchy in the sense that God is sort of in the clouds and the heavens. Um, and that's a caricature. Some people who are very astute know that God is everywhere. But typically, it's almost like we're praying to the God that is not within, but is without somehow. But in conspiring prayer, we're praying not to God, but with God. So it becomes this beautiful dance. And I, I, I say, I define conspiring prayer as a form of prayer where we create space in our busy lives to align our hearts with God's heart, where our spirit and God's spirit breathe harmoniously together, and where we plot together to subversively overcome evil with acts of love and goodness. So, John, this is hitting on exactly what you're talking about, where traditional petitioning prayer, God, you bring shalom to this person's life or situation. But in conspiring prayer, God, how can we creatively work towards shalom in this person's life or situation? In traditional petitioning prayer, we speak, God listens, and the hope is that we speak, that God speaks, and we both kind of listen and dance together um, in, in conspiring prayer. And listen, there's a greater cost to one prayer versus the other. Praying conspiring prayers is freaking dangerous. Because it requires us, us to get off our asses yeah. to actually be the hands and feet of God in the world. Whereas right. the other, we can, hey, God, we might pray it passionately, but we're putting the onus and responsibility solely on God. Right. Well, that's that's what, what you, uh, <laughs> when you brought up the... The number of prayers at the it struck you. You mentioned E.M. Bounds in your in your book, and I'm familiar a little bit with with that, but <laughs> I don't have the quote in front of me. But it was it was it it's utterly ridiculous, you know. Not to be you know critical, but the idea that somehow there's a there's a volume of prayer at some point that tips the scales, you know. And I, and I think he uses the term unit of prayer, and you're like, what's a unit of prayer? Like, is that, is there, and, and how do I measure that? How do I weigh it? If I could just get enough volume in here, there would be, a, I did write this down, an ocean which defies resistance. And so yeah. some, somehow we can literally pressure God, annoy him enough, pester him enough. Like, fine. All right. I'm going to make, I'm going to give you the parking spot, but then don't ask me for nothing else for a week because I'm tapped. Right. Right. I mean, it, right. It, it's just such a weird it's it's weird because I because I because I've lived it, man. That's the worst part. I've lived it. I've prayed it. I've done it, and then I've I've watched, um, I've I've watched the nothing that ensues. Yeah, I yeah. mean, our our prayers matter, and they matter in in this sense that not only can they contribute to more suffering in the world, which is such a, a sad, ironic uh, reality, but they make God to you know to look like an asshole, you yeah. know. And people have distanced themselves from God because of the way we pray. Um, yeah. I remember after one of the mass shootings, I think this is probably can be found in, in the, the newspaper, but one of the, one of the parents whose child died, they said, you know, one of the um, politicians talked about thoughts and prayers, like, Screw thoughts and prayers. I'm, right. I'm done with thoughts and prayers. After the, you know, upteenth mass shooting, you know, the thoughts and prayers thing is just not working, guys. No. You know, we have to do something more. And I'm, yeah. you know, people mistaken that I, I'm saying we don't pray, but I'm just saying let's pray with God rather than yeah. to yeah. God. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. A, a misunderstanding of my my project here. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I, I can't love any more 
the concept or the idea of conspiratorial prayer. I just, man, the second I read, in fact, I read that someplace else before I read it in your book and it was attributed to you, but I was like, yeah, yeah, that's it. Oh my gosh, that resonates so well. We partner with God, right? We're, we're collaborators, we're co-conspirators. We're trying to bring about as much good as often as we can in every way that we can. And we don't yeah. wash our hands of the project because we've put it all in the hands of this omnipotent super deity. Well, I find it, I find it really interesting that, uh, I mean, I'm sure you guys have both heard it. I mean, I've sat and listened to a preacher tell us that we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah. That that's, that's what we're called to do, but then turn right around and lay hands on someone who raised their hand and asked for prayer. And, and it could be something as simple as they, they can't make their rent this month. Yeah. And so we're going to, we're going <laughs> to circle around them in prayer, right? Yeah. And we're going to pray every single, the money right. will fall. And if every single person just put $5 in their pocket, they would have paid their rent. Yeah. <laughs> but instead we're going to, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that some miraculous hap thing happens and money shows up what willy nilly in their bank account. And I mean, it's just, it's asinine. Yeah. And the weirdness, the weirdness is that I know enough people who will tell you anecdote after anecdote after anecdote of, well, I, 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 I put enough money in the box and I tied it and I was good and I prayed and uh, this random money showed up. And so now they're convinced that this, this kind of prayer works. But I was part of a church several years ago and hands and feet, hands and feet, hands and feet was all, you know, we, that was our mantra. Um, but they wouldn't let me have a Narcotics Anonymous meeting in the building. So I'm like, so you want me to tell these people who are looking for a place to, to get healthy that do it someplace else? Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I had to tell my friend who, who came to me and I told her, absolutely, of course we can do this. And they were like, no, and I had to go back and tell her, no, uh, it just, it hands and feet my ass. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of times we could pray for them, brother, but yeah. we can't uh, have them in the church. Yeah. Right. What we've turned it into is the, is the backhand of Jesus. That's who we are. We're the backhands of God as we slap people and push them away. But that makes me mad. So I'm going to get off my rant. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. I, I talk about, uh, you know, a story, you know, where there was a, you know, a, a church in New York City praying, right? It was a winter storm and that uh, was a, their prayer meeting and they decided to pray for the homeless, right? <laughs> God, pour out your love on the homeless people downtown, help oh. them to find shelter, protect them from the cold and from illness, show them salvation uh, of your dear son, Jesus. But But it's so like, perhaps those church members who are the ones who needed to be saved from their superstitious petitionary praying. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's, it's so ironic. It's, you know, and listen, I'm not, I'm not judging because, you know, we've all been there, but it is a really sad, like in, it, we can say in hindsight how ridiculous it is, but in the, in that season of our lives, it, it felt real and it made sense. But uh, that's why I don't like to, you know, harshly judge people, but I, I can harshly judge the theology. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, the practice in itself yeah. is... Um, now, and I think we can absolutely evaluate the fruit of that and say, well, fine, you might have had good intentions, but the, end, but the outcome of this was um, you could have opened your doors to those people too. And then thoughts and prayers, whatever. How about warm bed and food in your belly? You know, Jesus is very concerned about the needs of people all through the Gospels. He feeds them because they're hungry. You know, it's like... Um, yeah. it, it just drives me crazy, but there's a guy in our town, um, named Tim. And if he's listening to the podcast, I hope you're listening to pastor Tim, but, um, one of the few that I know who does this all the time and not, not the only, obviously there are other good co-conspirators, but, um, they're feeding the hungry man. The doors are open when the weather gets bad and they house people and they take care of people and they help pay rent and they are the poorest church I've ever seen, man. These aren't, you know, this is. And I've had other friends who've tried to do some radical stuff inside their churches and just be, just literally be servants. And it's like, you just can't hardly get people to, to participate in that kind of church. They'd rather go to the mega church where they can be entertained for a minute. Um, they can put a couple bucks in the plate and then they can kind of wash their hands of everything. And it, it's not critical. I don't mean to be critical of the people, like you said, but I am critical of the thoughts behind it that produce, um, that produce harm. Yeah. You know? That's right. That's right. And that and yeah. that abdicate us from from doing the good we're supposed to do in the world. So I mean can I'm still I'm still rattling around with conspiring prayer. That's so that's such a cool way to put that. 
I love it. I had a question though, Mark. <laughs> yeah, please ask, ask, ask questions. I have a question. De- deconstruct this. I want to deconstruct one more thing yeah. because and poke, I, and I, poke you, at this. Poke I, holes I, in my thoughts here, please. I don't <laughs> be a rabble rouser. So, so this has been a love fest up to this point. Um, that's about to change. No, oh, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> I, did, I did tell Tom. I think I took him off guard. I told it when we because we talked to him. A, couple weeks three weeks four weeks anyway it's been a while it's all a blur john i don't know we've talked to a bunch of people <laughs> i had such good talks with people man and i did tell him that when i read the title of his book it pissed me off i'm like what do you mean god can't screw you you know who are you to tell god what he can't do and then i thought for a minute and anyway um and i'm not i'm not even telling you that i'm always i'm not you know i'm not i'm not there on a lot of this i'm still working through the ramifications of it but here's my question mm-hmm. because we've begun to i think i have i know you have um, begun to reframe and reimagine what omnipotence looks like. Um, what about yeah. omniscience? What do we do with that concept? Can God actually even know everything? Have we attributed to him too much <laughs> and said, God knows beginning from the end and everything in between completely exists outside of time. So he's omniscient. Sure. Or are there things that perhaps God can't know even because it hasn't freaking happened yet? Yeah, well, there you know, there's the open and relational umbrella. We've been talking really about the relational piece. Yeah. But this question, I think, gets the heart of the matter with the open piece, that the okay. future is really open, that it is not set in stone. Um, this is an interesting conversation. Um, you know, certainly open and relational theologians would suggest that God doesn't know everything. Um, God can only know that which can be known. God is so deeply relational. God is so deeply in the now, um, interacting in such a way that God doesn't control future events. And some would say that if God knew the future, then that makes it closed. So that which God knows must happen, therefore, we are not truly free. Right. So to be truly free and for God to be deeply relational, there's a sense in which God uh, does not know everything. Well, but, but then there's some variations that God may know every potentiality, that God ah. may know every possible uh, future, in a sense, but because it's not uh, hasn't happened yet, God does not know definitively. Okay. Yeah, I had that thought too. I'm like, okay, then God's, you know, the supercomputer who can, every permutation of this, he can absolutely, you know, predict, right? So the, the future is knowable in that sense, but open in the sense that until you've made that choice, that future hasn't been created yet. Sure, that future has not been determined yet. Yeah. Um, I had, because I, they go back to if it is determined, then everything we're doing is determined. Right. Um, right. And then that can be problematic for some. Yeah. But I, I do wonder, I've, I pushed back on some open relational, just out of my curiosity. And I said, is it, could it be that, let's say if you videotaped a baseball game and you were able to go back in time and in other words, you have the videotape. Right. Yeah. But would that mean that the events that took place in that game were determined? Like, could it be that God um, knows what would happen with people who were engaging in free will choices? And so that not would not necessarily, it would be determined in that God knew what free people would do, uh, but that that gets a, a little problematic for um, even some open and relational theologians because they would say, "Well, it still would be determined, right? It still would have right. to happen, and therefore we would not be free." But uh, you know, I, I still wrestle with some of these things. Um, but it would make sense if God is deeply, deeply relational, being with us in time that God may not know future events with 100% accuracy. 
just because it's not fully happened yet, but God knows the potentialities. Uh, but, you know, it gets into a weird thing because I'm like, if there are prediction machines that can know with the 99% accuracy of what will happen, uh, whether it's uh, whether, you know, there are some stocks and whatever it is, right? Sure. Yeah. Couldn't God know with 99% accuracy and therefore like God would know? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Doesn't that, doesn't that, um, doesn't that mean that God knows like we have, you know, beyond reasonable doubt, you know, it's like over 50%. Like, sure. So, but then they would still say, well, because it has not, 100% 100% happened, then it's, it's, it's still open. So yeah. it's an yeah. interesting conversation. Yeah. It really is. And it, you know, begs the question because you go through the biblical narratives and you, you, you see these places where God changed his mind, you know, and so, you know, God repented of this or that and changed his mind and was, okay, well, screw it. We'll start over again. I know. No, I get on the boat. <laughs> Has anyone found the penguins yet? No, bring them on. We got to go. Um, so, (laughs) but the, uh, the, the, the open part of that to me, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fascinating in the abstract. I don't know that it, it has a ton of practical applicability much, certainly not like the prayer part of this does It's more of a, you know, an academic function, but, um, we were talking to, uh, Kenneth Tanner, um, a while back and that's Mm kind of what the, 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 the word picture I got in my head, you know, was this idea that God spoke the world into existence, you know? And from the little tiny, teeny bit I know about science, you know, they tell us that the universe is still expanding, you know, mm-hmm. as though that mm-hmm. creative force is still reverberating out into the world. And, um, and, and so that, that, that was kind of my picture. My head was, okay, we are creating moment by moment. And we right. maybe, maybe we've pulled this thing out and we've said, well, God sits outside of that thing and he's completely divorced, divorced from it. And he's, not inside that construct he created, except that the incarnation tells me that God gets inside the things he creates. And so deeply a minute. Yeah. yeah, So I like that moment by moment in the moment we're co uh, I think the first time someone said that we we were co-creators, I cringed a little bit because it it still ruffles those tiny little bit of fundamentalist feathers I have. And I was like, Ooh, right. Right. And I thought about it. I'm like, of course we are. Of course we're called to partner with him. Right. Um, I mean, if you think about it, if evolution is true, I mean, we're talking billions of years of co-creation. Right. Where yeah. Each particle and each quantum, you know, ab- abno- you know, anomaly is like interacting in such a way that we can have amoebas to sentient human beings over billions of years. Like there is this process that's unfolding. Yeah. O- over time, and it's yeah. it's freaking beautiful. It's yeah. it's way more beautiful than some supreme deity snapping his fingers and shit just showing up. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm, like Thanos making like stuff just disappear. Like I don't know. I, I, I'm with you. I find that supremely beautiful, you know, and and hopeful as well, you know, because that process is ongoing, and that means that um, we have an opportunity to continue to participate in this and to bring about like all hope is not lost, man. That's right. <laughs> like Each moment's a new moment. Yeah, we're not yeah. screaming towards the edge of a cliff necessarily, although it feels like it a lot of the time. Um, but we can but though. We, oh, we can. Sure. We, we can eradicate every human being with nuclear missiles, except for the millionaires who have their bunkers. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we. <clears throat> that's the this the scary and beautiful thing that the future is open. Yeah. And uh, we, I think we've gone through five mass extinctions already uh, throughout time. Could we go through an, another cataclysmic event where, you know, humans drop the ball in a drastic way and there's a few of us left and then we start over and there's another billions of years and then the yeah. aliens come and help us to achieve a greater <laughs> sense of what, like anything's possible. Yeah. Right? We're talking billions of years yeah. already. I'm, yeah, yeah I, I'm ready to accept our reptilian overlords, by the way. So come on, bring it in. John, you've been itching to jump in here and I keep stepping on you, brother. I'm sorry, man. Oh, that's fine. I, um, it's, we've kind of moved past it, but I was just, I was just going to mention this whole idea of God being outside of time and, um, does he know or not know? I had actually, I, I tried, I, I tried my hand at writing something to explain what I thought it was that where God is 
outside of time, but also doesn't know the future. So I, and you're going to have to tell me if this even makes any sense. I'll, I'll let you know what I wrote and then you can tell me. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I wrote that it's like uh, like a general in a, in a war has this, he has this map and he can see the whole, say it's the uh, World War II, it's the, the European uh, curtain and he has all of Europe and into Asia. And as things are happening, somehow his map moves the tanks where they are or the, or the soldiers where they are. Um, he doesn't know that it happened until it happened. But he, as it's happening, he sees it happen. So to anyone outside of what he's controlling, it looks like he's omniscient because he's able to move his people into a place where they can control. And and this is where it kind of breaks down because it gives him control that I don't think he has. But uh, it does give this overarching view of omniscience that it actually isn't omniscient because he doesn't know until it happens. Does that, does that even come close to? Makes sense. It's sounding cool. Everything, uh, you know, but the sort of the general, you know, you you think of that hyper masculine, um, controlling authoritarian kind of figure. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's something I'm, I'm hearing the piece in there that, you know, God is able to know everything that is happening and big, and that's where wisdom comes in. And that God knows how to maximize the good in each moment, given the myriad number of variables that are at play. Right. And that's that's the beautiful, you know, that's God. Like I can't yeah. even I can't even fathom that level of intelligence to take. We're not talking about. I mean, we're talking about every single variable that I don't even know about on the, on the quantum and amoebas and right. animals and creatures and weather and gravity. And, and God knows how to, you know, woo and lure the good in each yeah. moment and in each preceding moment. And it's, yeah. it's mind blowing. It's pretty, yeah. pretty cool. Well, and then on top of all that, I mean, how do you reconcile that with the obvious choice that the, you know, or the, we all know the world is flat. So, so how do we actually, <laughs> what are you laughing about? Nothing. Sorry. You, you, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought I might stare us off a cliff for a second. All right, I'm just, I'm just playing. Um, so much of this is so interesting, man. It's so interesting. Um, but the applicability of it, I, Brad Jersak said, and I stole it off. Literally, if you ever just follow Brad Jersak on Facebook, I just steal his comments. I almost never steal his actual posts, but he comes on and says the most pithy stuff, man. It's just like, ooh, yeah. I just cut and paste Brilliant. it. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. and so he, uh, and he stole this from somebody else. He told me later it was this inspired by somebody, but he said, theology is, is toddlers with blunt crayons scribbling furiously their best notion of God and then hoping naively that he'll tell them they did a good job. And I'm like, yeah, that feels like that because I mean, all of this is, all of this is our best, it's our best guess. You know, it's, it's us bringing, um, mm-hmm. the rational mm-hmm. mind that, that the church for so long has told us that we can't trust. Um, but it's bringing that logic to, to bear on these issues. And, you know, one of the things that struck me as we were talking about, you know, omniscience and things of that nature, when I asked questions about these, by the way, as a kid and as a teenager and as a young, you know, young adult, um, man, the, man, the mental gymnastics people will go through to hold on to their image of God as either all powerful or all knowing or whatever. Um, and they would tell me stuff like, well, yeah, God, God does know everything, but sometimes he, well, maybe he self limits. You know, maybe he just pretends he doesn't see, you know, it's the sort of the same idea that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. And so now we, now God's got to trick himself and, and, and how he sees me. So he doesn't hate me. Um, and then God has to pretend he doesn't know the end. So that's, I guess, a surprise to him at the end. I don't know. Um, rather than embrace something unnerving, actually, because so, all this can be unsettling. I, I want to make sure that the people who are listening to this um, don't don't think for one second that guys like Mark and Tom and John and me and everybody who's ever even considered um, these 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 concepts that we're not sitting there going, oh yeah, easy, let go of that. No, I realize that's gonna that's gonna come as um as a as a hard pill to swallow, like you said, um, and it and it does not come neat wrapped up tidy in a, in a bow. Um, there are some things that have to be worked through and talked about and wrestled with. So, um, for the work you guys are doing, I think it's awesome, but. 
Um, but would you agree with that? I mean, we're, I mean, we're, we're still talking about the ineffable, right? We're still talking about. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, yeah, everything is constructed for me. There's a, there's a game to this whole thing. Um, if we were in a different country speaking a different language, we would be talking about different authors and different looking at God, the divine creator through a different lens. I, I'm so aware of how small our brains are, or let me speak for myself, small my brain is <laughs> in talking about things. And that's why for me, I care more about how you live tomorrow than your big ideas about God. Um, and, and as a therapist, to be honest, I think for some, not everybody, the obsessive nature of theological reflection is a defense mechanism from people living, living life. Yeah. Um, you know, not dealing. In other words, I, I've met people. I, I, there's no disorder. It's not. It's not very well talked about. But people would rather read every theological book they can get their hands on, trying to figure it out. And I get that. But could it possibly be that sometimes it's just a way to get out of, you know, our, our pain due to fractured relationships with parents, spouses, siblings, or friends, our guilt about how we treated others in the past, or our shame, how we neglect yeah. to treat ourselves or others, or our addictions, or our smallness, insecurity, and unworthiness, or our pride, or our disappointment, or our crappier relationship with our kids, or our spouse, and you name it. So for me, that's powerful theology. Yeah, like for sure. let me let me ask your partner um, about your life, about your theology. Uh, that's the best litmus test for me. Um, for, uh, this is fun, and we could talk about God and wrestle. But if it's not making an impact in what you do tomorrow, then what the freak are we doing? Yeah. If the greatest yeah. commandment truly is to love God, others, and self, uh, with all, you know, everything that we got, why are we focusing on commandment or proposition 345? Right, right. You know, why aren't we focusing on the first? And that will always be my emphasis. Talking yeah. about, and, and prayer is in that, right? We're saying, yeah, this isn't loving God, self, and, and neighbor very well when we abdicate our responsibility. But that's why it's so important, you know, that we talk about things that matter, that yeah. matter tomorrow. And that's why it's a big deal to me. I, I tell you, the way that you, the way that you're talking about this and the way that you're framing it, um, I think people will, I think people will find very helpful, um, if they can, um, if they can just momentarily let go of some certainties, um, about yeah. the way that they've perceived God. Cause a lot of times it feels like prayer is a, is a last ditch effort and we're just chucking stuff out in the universe, hoping something sticks. And what we're actually saying is no prayer matters. Um, I love, I still can't get over the conspiring prayer thing. I'm, I'm, I'm that's going to be in my head for a while, but I'm actually invited into this process with God then instead of an outside observer. How freaking exciting is that? How yeah. free, I'm, I'm literally <laughs> doing, I'm, I, I, I'm my, my, I got, I got goosebumps on my arms thinking about it. I'm like, I've actually been invited to participate in this, to actually go do good in the world. And not just because it makes me feel good, but because that's what I'm actually made and designed and called to do, um, is to be at this coconut. <laughs> I just love it. Co-conspirator. Um, I'm still, uh, I'm beautiful. It's, it's freaking, can you imagine, you know, churches, how exciting is a prayer meeting now where it's not just say a few prayers and sing a mm. song and leave. But it's like, wow, this is going on with one of the families in the church. Yeah. Hey guys, let's conspire with God right now. Mm. Right. Like, like Mary or Na Mary just got in her car accident. Um, she's in a hospital. Her husband doesn't know, don't know, doesn't know what to do with the three kids. Can we just pray for them right now? Can we conspire with God? Yeah. And then it's not just praying. But then you take a moment in the congregation, all right, now that we praise God for who God is, knowing that God was already at the accident, already with Mary, trying to bring healing to the extent that God can, trying to comfort to the extent that God can, thank you, God, for being a great God that does that. Let's take a moment 
to listen to what God might have to say to us, mm. right? How can, and then, whoa, out of that, you know, there was a few kids in the congregation and like, well, I was listening and I don't know if this was God or not, but I, I thought that maybe the, 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 our group in, in the Sunday school can draw some cards and send to them. Yeah. And another person says, Hey, I feel led to do a, a prayer, um, uh, um, a meal train or something like that. And another person says, well, can we visit her? I, maybe it'll take a few of us, you know, when she's ready to like all these like wonderings and just like visioning what we can do. And, and then you, and then what's great is in the next prayer meeting, you can talk about what it was like to do those things. And, and did anyone talk to her? And there, are there any testimonies in you actually being in the hands and feet of God? And what was the outcome? And how did you yeah. feel? And it's, it becomes lively and energetic and adventurous and communal. And as opposed to just, yeah, let's take 10 minutes to pray. Uh, goodbye. See ya. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we'll come back and we'll tell and tell me what magically happened. Right. Um, that you might have actually been able to physically go do. Yeah. No, I mean, gosh. I, I paradigm shift. Yeah, it's a paradigm shift, and it's a place that I kind of want to drop. Let's, let's just, I, th I think we need to end there because I think yeah. that's something that people can chew on for a little while. Um, I will be chewing on it for a little while. I'm going to, my, my, my co pastor here and I have talked for a year. Like, we really need to do a prayer series. You know, I want to preach a series on prayer. Um, and honestly, I'm like, but I don't know what the hell to say. So I've battled back and forth with this formational prayer, which I think is useful. I don't think there's, I think there's something to it. Um, but the sense of helplessness sometimes that comes from thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And then the sense, yeah. the, the self-congratulatory, you know, some, for some people like, well, I did my part, I prayed. And then you just wring your hands and go, but, 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 but that, that didn't do anything. You know, right. like, yeah. That guy lives, that guy lives across town. like. Thoughts and prayers, you know, how about meals and hugs? Let's go. Let's go do something, man. Not, not, can, so, I, can I bring one more point? Is it okay to bring uh, one more uh, point of there? Of course. Absolutely, absolutely man. Yeah. Um, I, I want to give people the permission to be able to share their heart with God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not, and this gets into different forms of prayer. Like I, I'm a big proponent of, of conspiring prayer, but there are times that I, that, you know, I may pray, God, this is my longing yeah. for this person in the state. And we, and there may be nothing I could do about it. Right. So I want right. to encourage people to pray and lament and protest when need be. But here's the difference. My hope is that it can be in the understanding of a different image of God. Yeah. Where I'm not praying to the God who can but chooses not to but praying to a God who may be grieving with me in this very moment because neither God nor me can do anything about this tragic situation. So just to give permission to different forms of prayer, not saying yeah. it always has to be conspiring prayer. And uh, sometimes we just have to cry, cry out. Yeah. And, and that's, yeah. you know, God is not sitting there, well, that's not theologically correct. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I want to give permission to be yeah. children in a sense, but um, just hone in on the image of God that we're actually praying to. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, I tell you what, Mark, that, that, that leaves so much, um, for lack of a better way to say it, there's so, it leaves so much meat on the bone. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, like we, we had a nibble, we had a bite, but we have only talked about one part of one kind of prayer. And, and I, there's, like you said, there's so much. There's so much to do. So I would love to have you back at some point um, to also talk about religious refugees and um, stuff that's going on in your life as well. So uh, if you're willing sometime down the road, let's let's do this again. Yeah, sounds good. It was a great meeting you both. Great yeah, conversation, John. Yeah, yeah, John. Just um, awesome. Down to earth, keeping it real. <laughs> Doing our best with uh, the, the, the few faculties God has given us. <laughs> but, yeah, right, so too. you guys can... You guys can connect with Mark in, a, in, in myriad ways. There's all kinds of ways to uh, social media, obviously, Facebook. He's got a website, right, Mark? Yeah, I would say that I'm kind of an ancient dinosaur there. So there's not a myriad number of ways. But uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> people keep asking me, dude, you need to get on Instagram. 
But um, markgregorykaras.com, that's my website with a bunch of info. Uh, there is a specific website on this whole prayer thing that's conspiringprayer.com. Awesome. And cool. then um, Facebook is probably the, the main social media outlet yeah. that I, I, I use. Well, you're, yeah. you're one of those guys on Facebook that I, 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 I follow. I look for your stuff. Um, uh, it, it's always life-giving. It's always thoughtful and good. And so I... I and I, I point people towards your stuff all the time because I just I, you said at the beginning that some of your thoughts on this stuff wasn't weren't very I forget how you said like it wasn't very encouraging. I, I find that not to be true. Yeah, like 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 at the beginning of this and to, and to now, I am like twenty five percent more um, hopeful. So now we're twenty five percent more hope. Nice. Um, Mark nice. Gregory Carroll bringing it, baby. So no, I, there's so much. I know it, it, it will come with some hand wringing and some, you know, there will be some, some tough questions asked, but man, the, yeah. the possibility on the other side of that, I think is way bigger than we've, we've imagined. So, um, yeah, man, appreciate I'm, it. I'm appreciate lit up, brother. Both. Appreciate it. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll close it down until next time, you guys, this has been John Annette turning with our special guest, Mark Gregory Karras, and this is still not church. <laughs> still not church. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to this is not church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.